welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I am glad to welcome my youngest son to our ministry team. Josh is one of the teaching pastors at Summit Church in Naples, Florida. Now take your Bibles and let's listen to God's Word together. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're um, going to be in Hebrews chapter 12 today, uh, verses 3 through 17. If you do not have a Bible, uh, please raise your hand. We have ushers who can provide a Bible for you. Um, know that we don't do that to shame you or embarrass you in any way. Um, we know that some people don't have Bibles. Some people forget their Bibles. And we want you to have God's Word in your hands as we process through it today. We're going to take time going through these verses, dissecting these verses, being able to apply these verses to our lives. And we would love for you to be able to read along with us as we do that. We also, you have an opportunity to keep us accountable, make sure that we're saying what God's Word says. Because here at Summit Church, we hold high regard God's Word. And that's what we proclaim, what God's Word says. And so uh, have a Bible. If you don't have one in general, please feel free to take that home with you as a gift um, from us. Read it throughout the week. Bring it back next week. Um, it can now belong to you. And so Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're going to be. We have a, a pretty lengthy passage today. I'm starting in verse 3 all the way down to verse 17. But let's read that together. Uh, before we dive deeper into it. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 says this. It says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we, had a, we have had an earthly father who disciplines us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live. For they discipline us for a short times that seemed best for them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Before we unpack that, that beautiful passage, let's open up in a word of prayer. God, we come to you today in great joy and great anticipation for who you are and what you've done in our lives. We thank the Lord for every single person that is in this room, knowing they're not here by accident. That even in their own mind, it might have been a last minute decision. But in your mind, Lord, you orchestrated their lives in such a way that they would be here today because we have confidence that you want to communicate your word to them. And so we pray, Lord, the Holy Spirit, that you would move among us. 
that our confidence today is placed in your faithfulness, that you are a faithful God who moves and directs and cares for us and loves us and exposes our sin and leads us to repentance. And so, Lord, there's many stories in this room. There's many lives that are going on in this room, and everyone is seen by you. Everyone is heard by you. Everyone is is cared by you. And so I pray, Lord, as as your word is proclaimed today, that the Holy Spirit, that you would open their eyes to the truth that they need to hear. The Holy Spirit, that you would use me, an imperfect vessel, that you would use me, Lord, in the midst of my failures, in the midst of my insecurities, in the midst of me being a broken vessel that desperately needs you, but one you are able to use and one that is saved by your grace. And so we pray, Lord, today that you would do mighty things for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom. We pray, Lord, for the other churches in the area, the the God-centered churches that are preaching Christ crucified this morning. We think of churches like First Baptist. We think of churches like Centerpoint, like Faith Bible, like Covenant Presbyterian, and the other ones throughout Naples, Lord, that are proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Bless those churches. Bless their congregations and move in a powerful way. Lord, we desperately need you today, like we do every single moment of every single day. Let your word be real to us, more than just ink on a page, but something that impacts our lives. Do it for your glory. Do it for the edification of your church. And it's in the awesome, powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. And so I've kind of mentioned before, I grew up playing sports, and one sport that I played when I was in high school was football. And so you would have these football practices, and like most sports, you practice throughout the week getting ready for games. And so our football practices were long, they were intense, right? They were, they were high impact. We'd go after it for three hours, and you'd be tired, and you'd be worn out, and you'd be ready just to call it quits. And then what the coach would do is he would blow his whistle and say that it was time for conditioning, right? And so what conditioning was, it was an opportunity for, I would say it was an opportunity for the coaches to torture us, but it really was an opportunity, they would say, in order for us to build strength and to build endurance to get ready for the games. And so they'd put you on the sidelines and you would run sprints back and forth. Sometimes you would get on the ground and have to do bear crawls and they would work you and work you and work you just when you're already so tired and so worn out. And what the good coaches would do When conditioning was coming to an end and you're just ready to throw in the towel because you're just done, they'll begin to motivate you. They'll begin to remind you that the endurance has purpose behind it. They'll begin to remind you that they're doing this for a specific reason because they want to build strength and stamina in you that will benefit you as an individual player and will benefit the team as well. They'll remind you that a moment's going to come in the fourth quarter And you're going to be worn out and tired, but you've got to drive the ball 80 yards down the field to score a touchdown. And when you put in the extra work here, that's going to cause you to be able to benefit once game time comes. There's going to be an opportunity where you're a defense and you have a goal line stand. You're trying to prevent the other team from scoring and you're going to be tired. But the extra work that you're putting in right now will benefit you in the future. And so as you begin to to get tired and worn out, you're motivated by your coaches going, no, there's purpose behind what I'm doing. There's meaning behind what I'm doing. Yes, it's suffering. Yes, it's hard. Yes, I'm growing weary, but I can finish because this will benefit me one day. It will benefit me come game time. And so these motivations would help us and it would carry you as a player. But often in our lives, in our everyday lives, we have the same situation that comes in our lives, that we are tired, that we're worn out, that we're faint-hearted, and we begin to ask the question, is it worth it? Is it worth continuing to go on? Is there any benefit to me continually doing this? Right? We have work situations that are really hard. 
We have family dynamics and relationships that we just don't seem will ever get fixed. We have financial hardships that we feel like we're just digging a hole deeper and deeper. We have temptations in our lives that continue to plague us every single day. Or maybe our lives aren't just going the way that we expected them to go. And we find ourselves in these these faint-hearted moments and we're thinking, is it worth it? Should I just throw in the towel and give up? And what the writer of Hebrews today is he's reminding us that there's a reason for our endurance. He's reminding us that there is a benefit to our lives when things get tough. And what he tells us in verse 3, he tells us to consider Jesus. He reminds us that there is one that we can consider. There's one that we can look to. And that word consider is not just like a quick glance at Jesus or something that we think about just for a moment. But that word in the Greek consider means to think about thoroughly, to consider carefully, to fix our eyes on the the author and the finisher of our faith that Jeremiah last week did a fantastic job walking through those verses with us and that we have Jesus that we can look to, but not just as our motivation, but we can look to as the one that empowers us and gives us the blessing that comes when life is difficult and things are hard. The writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of people that are experiencing great persecution and great hardships. And he's telling them, consider Jesus who experienced great hostility, but was able to endure. Now you can endure. And so what we're going to do today is we process through those verses. We're going to consider Jesus. We're going to fix our eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith. And if you're weary today, if you're faint-hearted today, if, if life is complicated and stressful, my encouragement to you today, coming from God's word, is consider Jesus. Consider the one who endured for you and who gives you the power and the strength to endure. And so the big idea of the the message today is this, is that we can endure and not grow weary because Jesus is better. And because Jesus did what we could not do. He lived the perfect life that we were unable to live. And then when he died on the cross, he took the punishment for our sins, the wrath for our sins that we deserve and received that on our behalf and then rose from the dead victoriously three days later, conquering death, conquering sin, conquering the enemy. And that you and I, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we get the benefit of a relationship with him. Our sins forgiven, we're redeemed, and we're brought into the family of God. That we're children of God, all who believe and receive Jesus. John chapter 117 tells us that we can enter into the family of God. And when things are hard and challenging, we can look to Jesus for strength and for power that is displayed through the Holy Spirit. That's our great and our ultimate example. And so if you find yourself today in a, in a hard situation, if you find yourself today just moments away from tossing the towel in, let's be reminded today of who Jesus is. Let's consider Jesus together and the benefit that our lives can have when we endure and not grow weary and faint-hearted. And so we're going to examine two truths today that we see from the Scripture that we can cling to as we endure and as we look to Jesus And then we're going to see some practical steps that you and I can take even today as we sit in this room and as we go out throughout the week that we can, practical steps we can see and understand and do according to what God's word says. And so the first thing we see is that we can endure and not grow weary because God is treating us as his own children. So we're going to pick up in verse five. 
They're going through extreme hardships. And verse 4, the writer reminds them that your blood has not been shed yet. I mean, you haven't died yet, which is good, right? You're still alive. And he says, you have these circumstances that are going on in your life. And let me remind you of what God is doing in the midst of these circumstances. As you're tempted to grow faint-hearted, as you're tempted to turn away and grow weary, let me remind you of what God is doing. And the first thing we see is God is treating us as his own children. Let's read again verse 5. It says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that is dressed as you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. First, for his discipline that you have to endure, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had an earthly father who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and lived? For they disciplined us for a short time that seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. What is so easy that happens in our lives when, when things are differently than what we thought or God isn't giving us the things that we want or we're in challenging situations and challenging relationships, we often begin to ask ourselves, like, is God frustrated with me? Like, is God angry with me? Is that why these things are happening? I mean, sometimes we find ourselves making sinful choices and there's consequences to sinful choices and God could be leading hard times in your life because he's calling you to repentance. But for some of us in this room, right, we don't live the Christian life perfectly, but we feel like we're seeking after God. We feel like that we're going after him, but our lives just seem to be more chaotic and more challenging. I mean, the writer... Of he, I mean, a writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of people who love God desperately. And it's costing them their lives. It's costing them their homes. It's costing them their careers. And so it's easy for us to say, man, God, are you angry or frustrated with me? But what the Bible says here and is reminded to us today is that what God is doing in the circumstances of our lives is that God is disciplining us. And often we see that word discipline and we think about negative connotations, right? We think about, man, like this, this punishment that we have or, or bad things that will happen to us. But this word discipline in the Greek actually means that to train a person in the way that is right. This is used, the same Greek word is used a few other times. In Ephesians chapter 6, six verse 4, it says that, that fathers are called to instruct and discipline their children in the way of the Lord. And then in 2 Timothy 3.16, the famous passage is talking about that, that God's word is breathed out by God and it's profitable for us. And one way that it says that it's profitable is for training in righteousness. And that same word for tr- the Greek word that was used for discipline is used for training in righteousness. And so this, this word in the Greek of discipline has more of an instruction or training than it does with discipline. It's more trying to inform us in our lives and shape us and mold us in the things that are happening. So God is bringing these things into your lives in order to train you because he loves you and because he cares for you. Even the, the writer of Hebrew gives a very familiar example that everyone in this room, for the most part, can resonate with, right? He talks about a father disciplining their children, right? And most of us understand this because either we're children out there who are being disciplined. We've been disciplined in the, we have children we are disciplining. Or maybe you have grown kids that you remember disciplining them. And sometimes sin can distort this. But for the most part, when we love and care for our children, we discipline them out of love. We discipline them because we love them. We want them to know what is right versus what is wrong. We want them to know what is best 
versus what is not best, what is wise versus what is unwise. We want to know this is what glorifies God. This is not glorify God. And we have to instruct them and entrain them to the truth of that, right? When a little toddler comes in and want to put their hand on a hot stove, right? We just don't let them do it. Oh, yeah, sure. Be curious. See what happens. No, we instruct them out of the kitchen, even when they're kicking and screaming, right? This is not beneficial for you. Right, when our teenager comes to us and says, man, I want to stay out all night with my friends hanging out in the town. We say, no, right? No, you're not doing that. You're 14 years old. That's not wise for you to do that. Or when we have our nine-year-old that wants to watch an R-rated movie, we say, no, like you can't do that. It's, un- it's harmful for you to do that and to understand that. Or we hear that our children are lying to their teachers about their grades and about doing their homework. We say, no, you don't do that. That doesn't honor God even when they don't like it, because we love them enough to instruct them. We love them enough to train them, and this is what it means to glorify God. This is what's right in your life. And in the same way, the writer of Hebrews is reminding us that because we're children of God, he loves us enough to instruct us and train us in our lives. He loves us enough to put us in relationships, to put us in situations, to bring these things upon our lives, to do things differently than what we thought, because he loves us enough, because he's using those opportunities to train us, and he's using their opportunities to express his love to us. In fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us that it's good that God is doing that, because if we didn't belong to God, if we were illegitimate children, which means we didn't belong to God, then he wouldn't care to do this. I mean, how many of us in this room have had this conversation, right? We tell our our child, right, you can't do this. You can't go to this movie. And what's the response? But Michael's mom He lets him go to this movie, right? He's okay. You know, she doesn't mind at all. And then we give the classic parent response. Well, I'm not Michael's mom, right? Like Michael's mom takes care of Michael. I take care of you. You're my child and I love you enough to know that I think that movie would be harmful and unwise for you to see. Michael's mom can deal with Michael. Michael is not my child. You're my child and I love you enough to care for you. I love you enough to instruct you in the way of the Lord. I love you enough to train you and to tell you, no, that's not good for you. In the same way in our lives that God loves us enough to train us and to instruct us in the way of the Lord. That's how much he loves and cares for us. But if we're honest with ourselves, right, we don't really like that, right? We're like our teenager who goes pouts in the room, right? Like we don't like it that God instructs us in one way. Because we think things should be done certain ways. We think life should be easier than it is. We want the comfort. And so often I feel like what we do is we want the vacation that comes with being part of God's family. But we don't want the discipline that comes with being part of God's family. Because we desire comfort over holiness. Because we desire our way over God's way. And so often in our lives, we get mad, we get frustrated, we get irritated and bitter towards God because he's not doing the wet thing the ways that we want him to do it. And we fail to remember the truth of God's word, that he's doing it out of love for us. And the good news is that God doesn't mess up. He tells us in verse 10, right? Like, parents, we try to instruct our children the best that we can, but we don't do it perfectly. He says, but for God, he does do it perfectly. He's always bringing these situations in your life to instruct you because he loves you. He wants to, to shape you and mold you. Look what it says in, in, in 1 John 1, 3. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. God has lavished his love on us so that we can be called children of God. And that is what we are. 
John is reminding the people of the days, reminding us today that we are children of God, those who place their faith and trust in him, that you are a child of God and he is lavishing his love on you. Lavishing, right? Like just pouring it on you. That if you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's forgiven you of your sins. You're redeemed. You have a relationship with him. You're gonna spend all eternity with him. He's gonna care for you and he's gonna discipline you. So we don't like that last part, right? It's like, well, no, no, I love the redeemed. I love the forgiven, but he loves you enough to discipline you. That's the great love of our God that he's lavishing upon you. Oh, you're redeemed. You're forgiven. You're made new. And he loves you enough to instruct you in your sinfulness. He loves you enough to instruct you and lead and guide your lives in a way that glorifies him and is for your good. Just like in the same way that it wouldn't be loving of me to allow my kids to have everything they wanted, right? Eat all the candy you want. Stay up late you night. Go run around the neighborhood. It doesn't matter. Do whatever you want. What you think is wise. That would be unloving for me to do that as a parent. In the same way, it would be unloving of God to give us everything that we want because we're sinful and we're finite beings. But God is an infinite, wise, loving, and kind God that brings the situations in your life to lavish his love on you and to instruct you and discipline you in the way of the Lord. And so all the situations you find yourselves in, the disappointment, the sad, the hardships, not trying to diminish those things at all, they're real. But how in those ways is God expressing his love to you by instructing you? How can you change your posture and the circumstance of your life versus man, I'm bitter and frustrated. I'm going to be like the teenager that goes in my room and slams the door versus understanding that God is doing this out of love for me because he loves and he cares for me and he wants to produce something within me. And that's the beauty we see here. He treats us as children, right? But then there's a purpose. There's a goal to this. As he treats us as children, look what it says in verse 11, that God is producing righteousness in us as he does that as he shapes us and molds us. Verse 11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so he loves you enough to discipline you and instruct you, and the goal of it is to produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness within you. There is a goal to what he's accomplishing here. And the goal is that you would become more righteous or that you would become more like Jesus. That God is more concerned about your heart than the circumstances of your life. He's more concerned about molding you and shaping you into more holiness or molding you and shaping you into look more like Jesus than he is about bringing you comfort and he is about bringing you an easy life. And that is good because he loves us enough in order to instruct us and lead us in that way. And just a side note to to parents here, that we see in this passage that God disciplines out of love and his goal is to produce righteousness within us. And as parents, we discipline our children out of love and we do it to produce righteousness within them. Because it's very easy in parenting to be concerned with behavior modification, isn't it? I just want you to act right. I want you to talk right. I want you to do this. I don't want you to lie. But if our motives are just about their behavior, Man, we're completely missing what God intended as parents. We're completely missing on the opportunity that we have to love and care for the children that God has blessed us with. That our goal is to love you well and to instruct you 
in order that you look more like Jesus at the end. And so we deal with their hearts, not just their behavior modification. In the same way that God deals with our hearts. And he deals with us such a way that he wants to mold us and to shape us into righteousness. And he brings all the circumstances in our lives, right? The relationship, the job situations, the financial situations, the temptation that we find ourselves, differences than what we thought our life was going to be, the disappointments, right? The good news, the, I mean, the good things, the, the things that we're excited about, all those things are brought into our life in order for God to shape us and to mold us into the image of his son. And how we know how God is shaping us and molding us, how we can understand it, is we look to what God's word says. Jesus, in the garden of Gethsemane, right, the night before he died, he prayed. He prayed for us. And this is one thing that he prayed. He says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Lord, make them more holy according to truth. And that truth is found in your word. That truth is found here in God's word. Why do we proclaim God's word here on Sunday mornings? Why do we hold God's word in such high regard? Why do we encourage you to read it throughout the week, for you to memorize it, for you to meditate on it, for you to understand it? Because becoming more like Jesus, we understand that according to what God's word says. And situations comes in our lives and God brings them. And like Jeremiah talked about last week, it squeezes us, right? And as we're squeezed with these situations, we say, what comes out, right? When I squeeze an orange, orange juice comes out, right? But when you're squeezed, when you're under stress, when you're under hardships, what comes out? And if it's sinfulness that is coming out, then we have God's word that can lead us and guide us back to what God's word calls us. The Christian life is a life of repentance and faith. When you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right, you, you repent of your sins, you turn from them, you place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that he did what you could not do, that he accomplished the things you couldn't accomplish. He's your Lord and he's your Savior. And at that moment, salvation is obtained because of the grace of God. But that's not the only time we ever repent and place our faith in God. We have a continual pattern of our lives that we're continuously, when our sin is exposed, we repent of it. And we place our faith deeper into who God is and what he's done. It's a continual pattern that we should all have in our lives because we're all sinful people. And we're saved by grace when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But the Christian life is something we call sanctification or becoming more like Jesus. And that's a gradual process because of our sinful nature and living within a sinful world. And so what we do is we repent of the sins and then we turn to Jesus. And often the situations that God has brought into your life in this moment is because there's sin in your life that God is trying to expose. It doesn't mean the situations aren't hard. But often in the midst of a hard, hard situations, we respond in sinfulness. And so he brings about this in our lives to expose our sin, to lead us to repentance. Maybe you find yourself in a very challenging job situation right now. And you find yourself just struggling greatly. Don't know why you're in this position. You can't get a promotion. You, you can't do the things that you want to do. And you're like, God, why are you doing this? But maybe God loves you enough to to bring God's word to your attention, that 1 John 5, 21 says, little children, protect yourself from idols. And maybe you have a tendency to make work your idol and something that you look to and something that you worship more than God. So he's bringing these circumstances to expose that sin and to lead you in repentance. Maybe you find yourself in consistent, man, just financial hardships. Man, just so hard for you, so challenging for you, just month by month, day by day. And maybe in the midst of the struggle that God is trying to remind you that the love of money 
is the root of all evil. And money doesn't provide for you. God provides for you. So he's exposed in your heart because you're longing for money versus longing for God to provide and take care of you. Maybe you find yourself as a parent who is struggling raising your kids, right? It's hard. It's challenging. What do people think? What are they processing me when I go to the grocery store? How do they think about me when we get together? My kids are everywhere. They're running rampant. No one can control them. It's like a, it's like a herd of cats, right? They're all over the place, right? And you just feel so defeated. Man, parenting is hard. But maybe in the midst of that situation that you're forgetting the truth, that what is most true about you, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, is that you're a child of God. John 1.17 tells us that. And you're not identified by how good of a parent you are. You're not identified on what people think about you, that God wants to remind you, you belong to me, and that's what's most true about you. Yes, do whatever you can to instruct your children and to raise them, right? The way God calls you to raise them. But your identity isn't found in that. There was a situation recently with me. I was helping somebody a lot and putting a lot of effort into helping this person. I felt this is what God wanted me to do. You know, I'm helping them just beyond my means, just caring for them and caring for them and caring for them. And in the midst of all this caring and going out on a limb and caring for them, the person, I mean, did not say thank you once, did not care. In fact, asked for me to do more, right? Like, well, why can't you do more than you're doing right now? Why can't you do this? I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Like, look how much I've done for you. It's like, yeah, that's great. But what could you do this? How about this? It's not enough. And it was a hard season. And it was a frustrating season. I remember I was going to my pantry, which I often do, right, um, to get food for whatever reason. I remember just sitting there, just frustrated with the situation. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. The Holy Spirit penetrated my heart. And God said, the way, you're, the way that person is treating you is the same way you often treat me. That I've given you, I've given you life. I've given you eternity. I've given you a relationship with me. I bless you with an amazing wife, a wonderful family, a great church, a great career. I live in paradise. But how often I say, but God, right? Could I have a nicer car? Could I have a little bit of a bigger house? Could I have more financial wiggle room here? And I'm consistently, in my heart, nagging God for more versus being thankful for he's given me so much more than I could ever deserve. And God used that hard situation in my life to expose my sin. I was squeezed and sinfulness came out. And God says, I love you even when you don't appreciate what I'm doing. Love this person even when they don't appreciate what you're doing. Even if you don't get the thank you you think you deserve. Even if you don't get the gratitude. Love them anyways. And praise God that he loves me anyways when I'm not nearly as grateful as I should be. And so often in our lives, sin comes and we're exposed with that sin. I'm sorry, hardships come and our sin are exposed. And we have the opportunity to ask God, what are you doing in my heart in this moment? What sins do I need to repent of? How can I look to Jesus as I endure and remember that I am a child of God and that you're producing righteousness within me because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus? How in my circumstances are you desiring to produce righteousness within me? How am I called to repent of the sins that I'm committing? And how can I place my faith deeper into you? And so if you're weary today, if you're faint-hearted, man, take joy and excitement in the fact that God loves you enough to instruct you and he loves you enough to produce righteousness within you. And so we got some practical steps that the writer of Hebrews finishes here. Um, in verses 12 through 17, things that I hope today that we can cling to, 
I hope today is even as we walk out that can bring on the forefront of our minds that as we look to Jesus, these are some practical steps we can take. So the first practical step we can take is that we can lift up our heads and strengthen our knees as we trust in the Lord. Look what it says in verse 12. He says, therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. He's going back to the, the running analogy. We saw last week that this is a marathon, not a sprint, the Christian life. And often if you've seen people run marathons, at the end, they're getting very weary, right? They're getting, man, their knees are down, their hands are down. They're, they're barely trying to get by. They're faint hearted. They're ready to give up. And what he's reminded us today is, man, lift up their hands, strengthen your knees because God is coming and God is going to heal you in the midst of this. He's actually taking language that we see over here in Isaiah chapter 35, verse three. And he says, strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. For those in this room that have an anxious heart because of the circumstances that you find in your lives, do not fear. Stand strong for your God. He is coming with vengeance. And he will come and he will save you. That's the truth that you can cling to today. That you're not alone in this race. That God is with you. That God cares for you. That he is strong on your behalf. And he will lift up your weak hands. He will strengthen your feeble knees as you look to Jesus. The one who endured on your behalf as you run the race with endurance. That's why he cares for you. That's how much he loves you. And so if you find yourself today in that situation, my encouragement to you, God's encouragement Man, lift up those hands, strengthen those knees, put on a smile knowing that God loves you enough to instruct you and he loves you enough to produce righteousness within you. Don't grow faint-hearted. Even it says in Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we'll reap if we do not give up. Do not grow weary in doing what is good, believer. Do not grow weary Because in the right season, God will produce the things he desired to produce within you. The righteousness, if we have a heart of faith, I mean, repentance and faith in in our God and what he's done for us. So be strengthened today. Be encouraged today. And look to Jesus, the one who endured great suffering, the only begotten son of God who endured great suffering and great hardships so that you could be saved and you could receive his strength when you're trying to endure, when you're weary and faint-hearted, consider Jesus. And the second thing we see here is that we can pursue the love and care of Christian, excuse me, the love and care of Christian community. Let's read verses 13 down to 17 again. It says, excuse me, let's start in verse 14. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to you that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And what we need to understand is the way that God designed the Christian life is it made to be within community. He says, strive for peace with everyone. Strive for holiness as a group of people. Strive together 
in this journey, not alone, not isolated, but with other believers. That we as people should gather together on Sunday mornings and gather throughout the week in groups together, right? In the Christian life, community is not optional. It's what God calls and desires us. And look what he says here. He says, because of the hardships, there's going to be some people in here are going to have roots of bitterness within them. Some of them aren't going to fully understand what God is doing. They're not going to understand the discipline of the Lord and what he's, the righteousness that he's trying to produce. There's going to be some that who are defiled, who's sexually immoral. And those are going to be like ones like Esau. And if you remember the story of Esau, he sold his birthright right, for a cup of stew. The people are going to make impulse decisions because they're thinking out of their flesh and they're considering the appetite in front of them versus understanding what God is producing within them and the discipline and in the righteousness. And so he says, gather around. When you see this root of bitterness that is coming, like care for that person, love on that person. When you see someone who is stepping out and living in sin and acting like Esau, care for that person because they need to be reminded of who God is, that Jesus endured, and God loves us enough to discipline and to produce righteousness within us. And so as believers, we gather together as a unity, as a group of people in order to consider Jesus together and to endure this Christian life. Just like the coach would motivate us as players that this is going to benefit you as a team. This is going to benefit you as an individual. In the same way, we look to Jesus saying this will benefit us as a church if we endure and not grow faint-hearted. It will benefit us as believers. And the primary way that we gather in groups here at Summit Church is in our community groups that meet throughout the week. We come here on Sunday morning, we worship and praise God. It's an amazing time. We hear his word proclaimed. And then we go throughout the week into homes throughout Naples and we meet in community groups. And these are opportunities for us to do exactly this, to strive for peace together, to strive for holiness. And when our brother or sisters are living in sin or attempted to become bitter or attempted to become defiled or making decisions like Esau, we lovingly instruct them and care for them enough to remind them of who God is and what he's done. You can endure. Jesus endured on your behalf. And so we meet together to champion one another. Christian community is vital. And so if you don't find yourself in a community group, you don't find yourself involved here in deepest levels at, deeper levels at Summit, then we encourage you to do that. What an opportunity that we have. What a gift that we have to be able to come around other believers, encourage each other, right? If someone's living in sin, may we lovingly expose sin, right? We lovingly call each people to repentance. We lovingly care for one another. We lovingly get to God's word. We lovingly encourage one another that there's these great dynamics in the Christian faith that we can understand and know God more deeply, not just as individuals, but as people, together, united. And God desires for that in your life. And we see the importance of that today. And so there's a lot of information that was given to you, those people that they find themselves in many different camps today. And wherever you find yourself, my, my, my heart and my goal, if you hear nothing else, is look to Jesus. Look to the one who experienced great hostility to motivate you and strengthen you to endure this Christian life. And so for some of you in this room, it's changing the perspective that you have on your life. It's knowing that God loves you enough to discipline you, that he's producing righteousness. For some of you in this room, it's repenting of the sins that you're committing in the midst of your hardships. For some of you in this room, it's getting involved in Christian community. And some of you in this room, it's going and lovingly telling another person that you care deeply about and have a really close relationship with them. Man, I think you're growing bitter. 
I think you're making impulse decisions like Esau. Let me remind you of what God's done. And for some of you in this room, maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you never had the benefit of being welcomed into the family of God. Well, I want you to know that you have a God that loved you enough to save you from your sins and went to great lengths to do that through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And you have a God that loves you enough to discipline you and to produce righteousness within you. And that's how much he loves it. He wants to lavish his love upon you in a way that is for our benefit and more importantly for his glory. And so I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing a song. If you want to talk to anybody about this and, or come talk to me or any of the pastors, we'll have people around that we'd love to talk to you about that. As the band comes on up, I forgot to give them their cue. Um, so I'm going to have a little bit extra long of a prayer so it gives them time to prepare. All right. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you so much for this group of people. I thank you so much for your kingdom. I thank you so much for the advancement of your kingdom, that you are doing it in ways that are sometimes beyond our comprehension, sometimes in ways that we don't fully understand. But I praise you that you're a God that loves us enough to discipline us. Just like it said in in Hebrews chapter 12, as we get older, we look back. If we had loving parents, we say, man, they did that for my good. They disciplined me because they loved me. And in a greater way, God, we can look to you even when we don't like it, even if it's different than what we thought, that we know that you're instructing us and caring for us enough and training us because you love us and because you desire for us to be more righteous and look more like Jesus. So I pray, Lord, as we leave today, that we lift up our drooping hands, that, we would, that, that you would strengthen our weak knees to run this way from endurance, that we take time to gather with other believers, Lord, to strive for peace and for holiness, And Lord, if we see our brothers or sisters gearing towards bitterness because of the circumstances that they find themselves in their lives, Lord, that we look to to you and point them to you and say, let's consider Jesus who did everything we couldn't so that we could have a relationship with him, that we could know him fully. We thank you, Lord, for your word, even when it's hard to understand. We thank you for your word, Lord, even when it's hard to hear because we know the motivation behind it is love for us, glory for you, and producing righteousness within us. Thank you that you love us enough to do that. We love you. We praise you. And it's in the awesome, amazing, peaceful, righteous name of Jesus we pray. Amen.